Guys, welcome to the show. Today is going to be a special episode. Uh, Chad Riker of Backcountry Rookies Podcast interviewed me a couple of weeks ago about coos deer and mule deer. He wanted to talk specifically about some of the OTC opportunities uh, here in the state of Arizona. So I think you guys will get some good value out of this podcast. I want to thank you guys for supporting this podcast so loyally. Uh, I get messages every day from podcast listeners, and I just want to thank you for all of your feedback. I want to encourage you, if you want to send me a note, send me a message, a question, you can do so at my email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go on my Instagram account, send me a direct message on Instagram. That's at jscottoutdoors. Guys, this podcast wouldn't be possible without you or the podcast sponsors. I want to thank GoHunt.com. Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years, is the optics manager there. If you guys have any binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, any questions for Cody, you can always reach out. But if you're looking to purchase optics, call him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also send him an email at optics at gohunt.com. Cody regularly, every single day, takes care of J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners that are looking to buy optics, and he does a really good job. He's a real genuine person, and I'm sure you've heard him on the podcast. I appreciate their support at Go Hunt, and I appreciate you guys supporting them. I also appreciate kuyu.com, kuyu ultralight hunting, KUIU.com for more information about the best ultralight hunting gear on the market. I've been wearing it since late 2010, early 2011, when Jason and his crew uh, first designed Kuyu. Uh, I want to thank them for their sponsorship. Also, phonescope.com. Use the JScott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, JScott19 at phonescope.com. And then onxmaps.com. Guys, go to onxmaps.com, use the jscott19 promo code, and you're going to get a 20% discount. Now, I love Onyx. I've been using it on these sheep hunts. I've been uh, using it for these upcoming Mexico coos deer hunts, getting all my ranches down there loaded into the Onyx Maps. And uh, it's an awesome, awesome resource for hunters, fishermen, anybody in the outdoors. I also use it for the private public land overlay. Uh, I also use it in my real estate business. Uh, It shows who owns what. And uh, it's just a great, great tool. Go to onyxmaps.com. Use the jscott19 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount. Guys, hope you're doing great. We're kind of uh, just kicking off the over-the-counter archery seasons in Arizona. The sheep season is still going, but mostly finished. Uh, We've got late December coos deer hunts going on. Uh, It's a great time of year. We've got application season staring us here in the face in a couple months. Uh, Show season, I'm going to be at the Western Hunting Expo. Uh, hopefully up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Hopefully if you guys are up there, you can look me up. I love uh, meeting different uh, J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. Uh, It's just a great time of year. So uh, guys, hope you enjoy this episode. All right, welcome back to the show. So today we have a, I I consider this a special guest, especially considering the topic that we're going to be talking about today, and that is mule deer and coos deer in Southern Arizona. 
So we're lucky enough. I've asked Jay Scott to come on the show, and we were able to pull Jay off the side of the mountain. What, what have you been doing out there on the side of the mountain, Jay? You know, I got back from the Ot Six Ranch. Uh, Chad, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, looking Absolutely. forward to this episode. Uh, I got back from the Ot Six Ranch in Colorado uh, at the end of October, and I've basically been scouting every day um, for bighorn sheep. I've got a couple of uh, great uh, tags coming up, uh, guided hunts coming up here December 1st in Arizona is when our sheep season starts. And so I've been just uh, basically scouting Monday through uh, Friday uh, since I've been back and uh, been just out there pounding the hills looking for big rams and uh, really enjoying my time here in Arizona. You know, uh, I spend September and October in Colorado uh, at the ranch and it's it starts to get pretty darn cold towards the end of October. And I'm a desert rat, uh, you know, from Arizona here, the Phoenix area. And so it's always nice to get back here and, and get back to the sunshine. Uh, you know, it's funny today, we actually, the last couple of days we've had uh, uh, pretty good rainstorms have moved in. They're pre predicting kind of widespread inch rains all across the valley here and uh, going to finish up probably tomorrow night. So we've been super, super dry and um, it's been fun looking at rams and I'm, I'm looking forward to this rain and all the good that it's going to do for our animals over the next, you know, coming, coming year, a good soaker rain like this sure helps the desert. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. Are, so is that your, we'll get to deer in a minute, but now I'm very curious about rams. <laughs> are you, is that your tags or are you guiding for people? No, I'm guiding. I've got uh, two hunters uh, and then my hunting partner, his son has a tag over in Western Arizona. So we actually are stacked up this year with, with uh, bighorn sheep tags and you know that's something i i started late to the game guiding bighorn sheep i didn't start till 2009 uh and i've been fortunate since 2009 not to have missed a season since then and you know once i really got to photographing and videoing and looking at these rams in 09 they just got under my skin and um just really look forward to november and december where uh, I can get out in the, you know, the deserts of Arizona and, and look at these rams and they're a real photogenic animal. You know, I'm used to hunting coos deer where, you know, they catch any sign uh, of you, whether they see you, smell you, hear you, whatever, they're gone. Whereas sheep are a little more tolerant. Uh, they'll let you, get, you know, get a couple hundred yards, three, four hundred yards, take some videos some pictures. And as long as you don't kind of encroach into that, uh, you know, zone where they feel safe, they'll let their they'll stand there and let you photograph them. So, you know, from the standpoint of getting to enjoy the interaction with animals, um, they're, they're pretty neat. Whereas coos deer, you know, and, and our desert mule deer for that, you know, they're so aware of their surroundings and they're so skittish that, uh, it, it really makes it fun when you get an animal that will kind of stand there and let you, let you take some shots at them. Yeah, that's fun. And they are cool too. Is there, I mean, I've never been that close to one, but seeing photos of them, they're just beautiful looking. So that that's pretty neat. They are an amazing animal for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into the topic at hand here that, that I'm curious about. Um, and that is not necessarily coos deer. I want to kind of talk about both coos and muleys. And the reason I want to talk both is because Arizona's deer tags in December and January is any antler deer. So if you come across an antler deer, you, you can shoot it. And is, is that December and January? Is there also a November any antler? Nope. It's, um, it's pretty much just December and January. There's also an August season. 
that's a couple weeks long that, that runs, I want to say, like the end of the second week, maybe start of the third week of August, huh. uh, up into September, usually before the elk hunts, usually till, say, you know, the, the 11th or 12th, 13th, somewhere in there of September, we've got an early season. Most of the deer are still in velvet. Uh, and, but, you know, the beauty of the December, January seasons, both for, like you said, for any antler deer, both coos and mule deer, is that you can come hunt Arizona over the counter with a bow and, you know, you get to hunt them in the peak of the rut. Uh, not to be, uh, misunderstood with, you know, our Arizona strip and the Kaibab, you know, north of the Colorado river where, where our big giant mule deer are, those deer rut, it's a lot higher in elevation and it's higher in, you know, it's, it's further north up in our state. So they actually rut in November, they're rutting right now, but for the most part, the rest of the deer in the state of Arizona, uh, both coos and mule deer, uh, pretty much rut from Christmas uh, through the end of January and even into the first week of February. So uh, for sure, the January portion of the OTC uh, archery hunts uh, fall right smack dab in the peak of the rut. So someone can come, even residents, residents or non-residents can come and just buy a tag over the counter and be getting to experience you know, deer losing their minds, chasing does, you know, bucks just following does and fighting with each other. And, you know, you're, whereas most hunts, you don't get to hunt during the peak of the rut elk. We do a little bit wild turkey. We do a little bit. Uh, but you know, the archery season in, in the month of January specifically, uh, is just, I mean, smack dab when they're going nuts. Okay. So that was, going to be my lead in question is when's the best time to go and it sounds like january is when it's kicking off it's going to be the best yeah so and I is mean, that for have, yeah go ahead is that for mule deer and coos deer are they both rutting at the same time or do they or do they run on different cycles and yeah a little bit um so the mule deer are going to rut just a smidge earlier than the coos deer okay. um, the mule deer are going to start Right around the 20th of December, um, you know, as you're around kind of the Phoenix area um, and, and maybe the Tucson area, you know, it's it's maybe going to start maybe after Christmas. Uh, you get some of the units up around Prescott's pace and some of the more central, a little bit higher in elevation. They may start just a smidge earlier. Normally, those OTC um, archery hunts start roughly like the 13th, 14th, 15th of December. And the rut action for the mule deer is maybe a few of the small bucks are just starting to trail does. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, the mule deer are going to rut and they're going to start and finish about a week and a half to two weeks before the coos deer. Now, there is quite a bit of overlap. Uh, and especially when you get those deer that are in the first and second cycles. So. But if you want widespread rut for both animals, mule deer and coos, pretty much from January 1st till about the 25th of, of January is probably prime time, mm -hmm. where if I had to narrow it down and say, when is the best two weeks? Absolutely for both. I would probably say like on a normal year, like the 5th, 6th, 7th of January through about the 22nd 23rd 24th of january is like the just prime prime two weeks well that's good to hear so 
this is kind of off topic, and I was thinking about this while you were talking. How does the moon affect that? So this year there's a big full moon like right in the middle of that prime time that you just talked about. Yeah, so the moon this year is full on January 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a headache. It, it's an absolute headache. It, in my mind, the 10th of January cannot be a worse day for the moon to be full when you're talking about deer hunters that are yeah, that's you know, trying yeah. trying to get on active deer. So this year in particular, that moon is going to be a problem for all of us. Uh, you know, It's going to be so bright at night. What that does is those deer are chasing does and what have you at night. And then they're going to be a little more lethargic at first light. But what it does is it creates kind of, you know, 10 o'clock or so. They, they finally, they've, they've chased those all night, gotten active all night. Then they kind of lay down right before it gets light and they lay for a couple hours. And then it seems like around 9, 30, 10 o'clock, right during the middle of the day, you'll see deer up moving, chasing, you know, pushing does. Uh, and then around four o'clock, you're going to get deer laying back down because they know they're going to be up, you know, as soon as the the, the sun goes down and the moon comes up. So it kind of takes those prime time hours of glassing where you've got sun up to say, you know, 10 AM. And then you've got about, you know, probably 4 PM to dark. That's kind of prime time glassing. When you get a full moon situation, uh, normally it kind of limits those hours and it's not quite as good at prime time and becomes actually a little bit better during the day. Um, and, you know, ideally I would love to see January 10th be completely dark moon. Uh, that would be, if you ask me ideally what, what I would wish for, but to be honest, the best would be about January 15th, completely dark moon. That would give you the deal where all the deer would be on their feet pretty much all day long because it's super black out at night and they're going to be bedded at night. That's ideal conditions. So this year we're faced with a little bit of a, of a uh, trial, so to speak. And, um, you know, you just got to be diligent and kind of know that, you know, if you're not seeing deer in that first hour, they're, they're probably right there embedded. Um, you just got to be patient. So you're saying sleep in, have a big breakfast glass a few hours during the day back at camp for a big dinner no i'm just kidding well the reality is uh, honestly yes but you know as type a as most of us are that want to get out there and charge 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 we'll 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 never do that but i mean the reality is yes almost on around that january 10th if you literally didn't get out there till you know 8 45 9 o'clock in the morning I think you'd be just fine. And if you just plan on glassing till, you know, four o'clock, your, your deer count numbers of spotted deer is probably going to be just as high as the guy that pounds it, you know, um, at prime time. Now, you, if you hunt all day, your numbers are probably going to go up. But if you just wanted to catch the most activity during a full moon, um, I would definitely, con- you know, consider that, you know, nine to ten through you know 3:30 4 o'clock is your prime time. Okay, so if you had to change, right? If you were looking at that full moon, and so I'll tell you, I'm planning on going out there around the 11th and staying through around the 20th. If I needed, to, would it be? Is that the, a better time as that full moon is coming up and then going away, or should would you recommend being out there and ahead of that full moon? I I would probably go late this year if I, okay. if I had to pick. I would probably go late 
Um, you know, I think the 11th through the 20th is fine because you're going to catch those great days, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. You're going to catch that um, as the moon's going down. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, the other thing that plays against it, though, is if we have a cold snap and the weather is cold for our area, it's going to make those deer active. The only thing that will really kill us is if it's hot and dry and it's a full moon. If, if we've got nice cold temperatures, I don't think the moon's going to play as big a role in it as, uh, you know, as I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Got it. Very good tips. Um, let's see. How about sitting over water or spot and stock? Which one? Which yes. Is, what's better there? Well, I think it depends totally on, you know, two or three weeks before the hunt, what kind of moisture levels have we had and are all the drainage bottoms, you know, are all the potholes full of water and can those deer basically get water anywhere they go? If it's dry and you monitor it and there's, you know, two or three weeks before the season, there's virtually been no storms. And in when you get here and you're out prowling around, if you're, if you know, go check out those First thing, go check out the creek bottom drainages. Uh, and if there's just puddle, 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 you know that everywhere those deer are, they can easily get water. If you walk those drainages and there's literally no puddles, um, you know, then sitting water can be super effective. The other thing is later in the season, as, as you know, you get that 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 of your stay, they're going to just be rutting more and more and more. And so they're going to be more active, more on their feet, more moving around. And when they do that, they need more water. So if the rut is lackluster and when you're glassing, you're not seeing much rut activity, the water sitting is probably going to be a little slow. If you're seeing bucks really actively chasing other bucks and bucks chasing does really hard. um, It's just like you and me, when you go for a long run or a big hike, um, it just seems like you're more thirsty. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, you know, the more active you are, the more, more, um, moisture you need. So, you, you know, I think sitting water can be a huge, if you find a tank or a spring or, or somewhere that's, you know, getting pounded and the tracks dictate that, you know, they're really hitting it and consistent, then I think it's great to sit. Um, you know, on, on the, on the other hand, you know, I love glassing them up. I love spotting them. I love trying to make a plan and trying to figure them out and monitoring, watching what they're doing, trying to establish a pattern and then trying to make an ambush on those deer. But I think you can blend your hunt and do, you know, glass prime time hours and then sit during the day. And I think that's a great, great combination and pretty deadly. Okay, perfect. Uh, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about the differences of coos deer versus mule deer and the the first thing i want to talk about is maybe you don't know the answer to this i don't know maybe you do but why do the coos deer live so far up in the mountains and then the mule deer just run those bottoms and um, those flats that you find out there i think that's a good a good question i think that's one of the questions i have on my laundry list uh someday when i get to heaven i'm gonna ask the big guy upstairs why the <laughs> The coos deer run in the beautiful mountains and the mule deer typically run in the wash bottoms and the lower elevations. And the answer is, I don't really know other than it's absolutely true that coos deer typically inhabit, you know, that three, four, five thousand foot 
um, elevation range. Um, they inhabit what I call that real pretty country, the yellow grass, the mesquites, uh, you know, the, the ocotillo, the oaks. They, they run that real pretty ground where the mule deer typically are more on the desert floor. Um, and then the flip side of that is also you can find some areas where mule deer are up, you know, above 6,500 feet. So, um, you know, I don't know why uh, that is, but the coos deer in especially the Arizona mountain chains uh, in New Mexico, it seems like the prettiest yellow grass, oak, mesquite country. That's where the coos deer will be. And then you take, you know, the ironwood and Palo Verde uh, kind of kind of granite bottoms and sandy bottom washes. That's where the mule deer will be. Okay, and I guess, so maybe they just like the different feed. I guess because I I could only imagine there's totally different food up there on the side of a mountain at six thousand versus the floors. Yeah, I mean I don't know the exact biological reason why coos deer inhabit the mountains and yeah. mule deer. And I just know that it is true. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then food. I mentioned food a second ago. What is, well, you already said it, the Ocotillos and those, those, that brown grassy, golden grassy kind of stuff. Is that, yeah, where, I mean, is that where you find them eating is in those Ocotillos and in that area? So if you're, if you're asking about coos specifically. Yeah, yeah we'll talk coos. Yeah. So the coos are going to be in those yellow grass ridges um, where the south facing slopes are yellow. And then the north facing and east facing slopes are more the oaks and the mesquites. Um, so, you know, you. You run from the desert, most Sky Island mountains here in Arizona, you run from like, you know, the desert floor. I mean, you spent some time out in Fort Huachuca, so you know what I'm talking about. It's like mm-hmm. desert floor. Then it finally rises up just a little bit and you start getting into more of that yellow grass. Mm-hmm. Um, you start getting into, um, you know, the Ocotillo is kind of the first thing you get to. And then you get up into the mesquites, then you get up into the oaks, then it goes up into the pines. Um, you know, those deer are... Uh, historic browsers and you know they're they're just browsing on you know all of that stuff that's in their zone whereas the mule deer they're going to be more down um you know on the desert floor um eating palo verde eating ironwood eating barrel cactus um uh, prickly pear uh fruits uh you know and that type of stuff gotcha okay very good uh let's see so, okay, one thing that I wanted to really talk about, and this is this is what keyed me in and what, one of the reasons why I reached out to you for this, was recently you've been putting out on your Instagram page, you're doing a lot of glassing tips, optics tips, how to glass, and I wanted to kind of go through that. So what are, yeah. and I'll just, so Jay's Instagram page, if you don't know it, it's Jay Scott Outdoors, all one word, and he's got some really good diagrams that he's built. And I kind of like to talk through those. Um, you mentioned one already with the the grassy south facing slopes and the shaded wooded north facing slopes. Can you talk about that, like picking those apart and why they live on those areas? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, talking about mule deer and coos deer, I think one thing, and and most animals in general, um, that that people need to understand that if they can look for these animals in an area where they have a higher probability of being 
In other words, if you're looking for a coos deer and you are looking where they spend most of their time, you're going to have better success with your spotting. Your spotting numbers are going to go up dramatically if you're looking in the right spot. If you're not looking in the right spot, you're not going to see as many animals. One of the things that I've learned from doing this for a long, long time, um, you know, basically since 1996, so 20, 23 years of, you know, intensely glassing and, and for, for these animals is they're going to seek shade pretty much every afternoon. So they want to be sitting on the shaded side of the hills and laying down, resting in the shade. It's very uncommon to find mule deer and coos deer bedded in the complete sun with the afternoon sun beating on their head. So if hunters in general, and this goes for elk as well, but if hunters in general would get to where they glass, so they, they put the sun at their back in the morning where the, the east, the sun is rising in the east, they put the east rising sun at their back and they're looking at east facing hillsides okay and south facing hillsides is fine because the sun is lighting all of that up and then at, after about the first hour if hunters will transition to realizing that those animals after about the first hour are going to start slipping into the cuts into the drainages into the draws where the east-facing and north-facing slopes are, which are typically the more thick slopes where there's more vegetation, that's where they're going to gravitate towards because they want to, just like you and I, when it's hot out, we want to go in the shade. If you have a chance to stand in the sun or stand in the shade, you're going to stand in the shade almost every time. If you wanted to take a nap and it's hot out, you're not going to lay down in the sun. You're going to go find us some shade and lay down there. That's the same thing with deer. So what I see a lot of people doing is in the afternoon, they put the western, so the sun is out, you know, it's moving towards the west because it's going to set in the west. They put that at their back. So now they're looking at the bright side of the hill, which, yes, their optics illuminate the animals. And, yes, when they do see an animal, it pops out. But the problem is they're looking on the complete wrong side of where most of the animals are. So you want to look into the sun instead of so away from it. in the morning you want the sun at your back for about the first hour, and then as the sun gets higher and higher in the sky, you have to realize that you need to focus most of your efforts onto shady slopes. And then as that sun keeps at noon and it keeps sliding going west, now it's creating when you look at hillsides, it just creates natural shade. The hill itself creates the shade and the animals are, the majority of animals, especially deer, are going to be on that shady side. Now, it can be a little shallow cut. It can be a deep, steep face that creates tons of shade. It doesn't really matter. It's just Nine times out of 10, if you glass in the afternoon with the sun in your face, that's going to put you looking at east and northeast facing slopes. The, the, the opposite of that would be you'd be looking at west and south facing slopes, the more open slopes. Well, yes, you, you will see some deer, but 
the majority of your deer will be anywhere where there's shade. So um, I always in the afternoon am glassing with the sun in my face. And so that I'm looking and it's hard. You have glare and it's harder to do, but that's where the deer are going to get up the, the quickest. They're going to stay bedded in the, on the sunny side where it's hot a lot longer than if you've got a shaded slope and they've been bedded there for several hours and now you're on the shaded slope. How many times have you been hiking up a hill and you're on the sunny side and it's super hot and then you hit a shaded cut and it's like, wow, it dropped, you know, it feels like it dropped 10 degrees. It's no different from the deer. So a lot of times I can find deer in the afternoon that are up feeding way before they're going to be up feeding on any of the sunnier slopes. Gotcha. Do you ever, so what I try and do on the Instagram is I try and take pictures of country and kind of describe what I'm seeing. And then I also try and take, um, my Onyx maps with the hot, you know, the, um, there's the topo, the aerial and the hybrid mode mm-hmm. and try and show how I would glass certain bits of country uh, because I've been doing it so long. Um, and so I, most of the time I make a plan that I've got, you know, two or three or four glassing points that I'm going to hit. I may only glass one, but I have strategically looked at a map and said, where is the shade going to be? Where do I expect the deer to be? That's not to say that I don't find a deer on a South facing slope or a West facing slope. It just, most of the animals are going to be on those shady slopes. Gotcha. Yep. Um, okay. So there's a picture that you have on here. Uh, let me find it again. Same one I was talking about earlier, where you have a big triangle kind of drawn around the shade in the background of that picture. There's a really rocky, steep face, almost something where you would see a, a ram or a goat or something out there. Do, do, do those deer ever hang out on those real rocky faces or, or are they more likely to be down in the shade that, that, that rock might be? So the rocky peak in the background, absolutely there will be deer there. And, and keep in mind, deer only need, you know, a tree or two or a cactus or two to create shade. They're not very big animals, but you know, they spend a lot of time. It's really hot here in Arizona. And so they get really habitual about knowing where the coolest places to lay on the mountain are. That goes back to that triangle that I circled in yellow. That's a predominant shady slope in the afternoon. That doesn't change day after day. That's always shaded in the afternoon. Well, guess what? Years of experience, I've found that those predominant shady slopes, the ones that face east and northeast, are almost always have more deer on them, especially in the afternoons, uh, than the other faces. That's not to say that that rocky slope in the background, that there can't be a, a nice canopy of oak trees up there and those deer feed out in the opens. And then they slip in there to those trees and lay down. That's not saying that at all, but it's saying if you find those big predominant shaded ridges, that's where they're going to be. And then uh, one thing I want to add with that on the mule deer, typically, you know, we talk about the mule deer living more in the flats and in the washes and in the sandy bottoms. Um, Those sandy bottom washes, you know, in in some of our units uh, around Phoenix and around Tucson, you can get up on cone peaks and knobs and be glassing down into those ironwood and 
and Palo Verde choked draws and find those thick stands of trees where there's big, thick ironwoods will likely, they'll just be on the shaded side of that tree. So you can use the shade principle with all types of glassing. It doesn't necessarily have to have a shaded ridge. Look on the, if you're glassing out across a flat, start making your eye look at the shaded side of the tree before the sunny side of the tree. And all of a sudden you'll start picking out deer that are just literally laying on the desert floor with the shade of a tree. Another thing to keep in mind is the shade of a tree. A lot of times they have to get up and rebed four, five, six, seven times during a day because the, the sun keeps shifting from east to west. And it's they were in the shade. Now they're in the sun. And so they just have to get up and move over like two feet. And they'll I've literally seen them just just work their way around a tree until finally they get up and feed for the afternoon. That makes total sense. Now, when, when you find... Well, let's move on. So there's another picture, the next picture, actually. If, you, if you're looking at your Instagram, this one you have roads outlined and some white lines in there to indicate. I think that's just your ridge lines, and then you've got your north face, south face. Um, right. This was on November 9th. How about that? So if anybody's yep. listening yep. and you want to go back and you want to check out these pictures, November 9th is what we're looking at right now. So is it is it productive to find... Well, I know a lot of guys, a lot of truck hunters will just sit on the road, right? They're not going to get out of that pickup. They're going to glass from the car but, or their right. truck. But if you went a couple of those ridge lines over and you were able during the morning, you're able to glass one side of the, of the ridge or the, you know, the ridge. And then in the afternoon, you can turn around and just glass the other direction. Is that effective too? Absolutely. I love ridge lines. I love ridge lines of all sorts because it gives you a two it gives you a two-faceted approach. In other words, you can work a ridge line and you can be looking at the thick side if you look, let's say, off your left side, or you can be looking to your right side and it's going to be an open face ridge. So you can either, you know, whichever end you start at, you, you can work down a ridge and look at open and thick, open and thick. And sitting on one ridge top, you can glass for 30 minutes and literally just spin or move three feet and shift and look the exact opposite direction. Now you're looking at open country mm -hmm. and you can just bounce up a ridge, you know, in two or three hours, I can move, you know, four five, six times and hit completely different country, you know, pan a bunch of country over, let's say on your left side, spin around, glass everything on your right side, then move up 150 yards and hit everything on your left side, hit everything on, you know, mm -hmm. and just keep doing that. And you'll find out real quick, okay, today these deer are really in this type of terrain or, you know, the last three days, all of the deer have been over on this side. Well, what I've found is, especially when it's warm and in the warmer months and even in the rutting time when it's, in, when it's warm, uh, those deer are going to most always they're going to feed out in the opens for the first hour and then boom, they're going to pile over those ridge tops and get down in those shady pockets. So uh, again, you know, focus on shade in the afternoon and you're going to find way more deer. So do the deer, would, you're saying when they go over the, the ridge tops to the other side, um, do you ever see them travel like on this, this particular picture in the bottom right corner of it, you can see where those two valleys kind of come together 
in the bottom. Do, so would they more likely go up over the top of that ridge or would they go and stay down in the bottoms and work their way around? No, I mean, normally normally they're going to be pretty close to the top of the ridge line. So they don't have to go very far to go back over the top and do some feeding yeah. and then repeat the process of dumping back over on the thick side. But, you know, you'll get deer that want to go get a drink of water and let's say it's been dry and they've got to walk, you know, three quarters of a mile to water. So that's where if you are scanning some of the south facing and some of the open, you can catch a lot of deer in the open. I have people tell me all the time, well, I see more deer in the open stuff than the thick stuff. And I say, well, yeah, because there's nothing to hide them. They're in the wide open. <laughs> yeah. But if you yeah. effectively can look into where they spend more of their time. And I can't tell you how many people send me a message. They're like, I started really focusing on shade and my numbers of deer over the course of a season has gone, sightings have gone way up because you're right. You know, I've been, I've been rewarded. My eyes have been rewarded by seeing stuff in the wide open because it's, they're easy to see because there's nothing to block them. But then once I started focusing on the thick stuff, it, my numbers went up and I'm like, well, yeah, cause you're looking where they spend more of their time. Yeah. That makes total sense. Ridgelines are awesome because you can cover lots of country. You can look off both sides and you can do it relatively quickly. And then you can hop over and go right down the next ridgeline. So all you have to do is walk up one, you get all the way to the top of one, you cross down, get up on the next ridge. Now, Granted, you're glassing the backside of what you just looked at, but then when you flip over to the other side, you're looking at a whole new piece of country. Mm -hmm. You can work all the way down that ridge. I mean, I've worked country where in, in, in one day I've worked, you know, three or four different ridge lines, and, you know, I've done it also where I've spent, you know, three days on one ridge line. But it gives you height advantage. It gives you an optical advantage where you've got – I always like looking um, – being higher and looking down and across than being down and looking up because I think it opens up the vegetation. If you're looking up the vegetation, those deer are only, you know, you know, waist high. Well, vegetation is going to cover them up. But if you're above them looking over the bushes, uh, it just opens up that optical advantage for you. Right. Right. Okay. Um, I'm glad to hear that about the ridgelines because that's what I've really been scouting and looking a lot. There's a lot of areas down there in Southern Arizona that are that way where it's just ridgeline after ridgeline. It, yeah. It's like and, waves, and I like, you know, it's, it's, I like to Chad. I like those waves of ridgelines, but I also like where it kind of goes like a ridgeline up to kind of a cone knob. And then it, you know, then it goes kind of down to another and then goes up to another knob. So you get, you get kind of those long walks where you can be looking off both sides. Then you get up to, you know, say it's 100 or 200 feet higher and you get now you've got a big cone knob vantage. Then you, you know, keep going and you've got more ridge line that you could walk and looking off both sides. Um, and, you know, that's the key is, is gaining optical advantage at all times in your deer numbers and looking in the right place where the deer spend most of their time. That Those two things are going to help you find more animals. Yeah. That's yeah, that's that's perfect. Okay, last one we'll hit here. You posted it looks like yesterday. It says 20 hours ago. So we'll go with the 19th, I think if you for the listeners. Um you have an example of how I would hunt a particular coos deer basin and here are the steps. And then you go through to define them, which is one, find water, 
two different glassing options, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing all this, so different glassing options, and then you have a line mark that's your path of travel and your approach in and kind of how you move throughout, and then you have marked multiple glassing options. So that's a phenomenal picture. I think you are giving everybody a great recipe there, so <laughs> thanks for that, well, but... What do you have a specific question about that, or do you not at all? I'm just I'm simply pointing it out because I think there's so much information in there that I mean, if you could almost find those exact locations all over Arizona, southern Arizona at least, and you're telling people right there this is how you need to be looking into them. So I'm going to put this in. I think the main thing, Chad, with with doing these is so if you notice that yellow line, you notice it's on the the, what I would call going up that ridge, it's kind of on the right side or it's on the downhill side of the ridge. That's my approach up to the top main ridge. I had some guys ask me, well, why are you on the bottom side? Well, I don't want to spook the basin that I'm glassing. So I'm going to use the contour of that ridge line. I'm going to stay below that ridge. Yes, I'm going to spook anything in that little ravine, but I'm going to eliminate as much area of, of disturbance as I can. And I'm going to walk up that crack or that cut on the bottom side of the ridge line. So in other words, they can't see me or hear me. The ridge is blocking them from sight and blocking my sound. And then I'm going to pop up on that glassing knob number two. And then I'll have a huge optical advantage, but they won't know I'm there because I, yes, I walked up that one ravine, but there's a whole bit of country that did not get disturbed. And part of my description was I always like to have every morning when I go out and every evening, I like to have two or three options of where I'm going to glass. You never know when you get to your first spot and you're like, this isn't as good as it looked on a map. And and now what do I do? Well, if you have, well, let's go check out number two. Let's go check out number three. You have a plan. Yep. Okay. The other thing is, for whatever reason, you may get up there on glassing knob number one and there's somebody there. So you say, hey, sorry about that. Didn't know. I'm going to go ahead and go to another spot. The worst thing I think guys can do is just willy-nilly go into country and not have like a strategy and have a plan of how how am I going to look at this country. Uh, and that's where that Onyx Maps works so well for me because I can just text, you know, share right there on the app. I can share my waypoint, my three glassing points with you and, you, you, and I can say, I'm going to start at one, I'm going to hit two, and I'm going to go to three. And, you know, if you're looking for me and you can't find me, I'm going to be at one of those three glassing points. I can even text you my route, just like that map. I can text you that entire map of the route that I'm going to walk, all of that. And it's, you know, I, I think guys, if they can gain optical advantage, if they can look into where the deer are and if they can kind of from more of like a, I look at, I'm, I'm not military, you are, uh, appreciate your service. But I look at all of these like a military strike. Like I seriously have clients that are like, wow, you get really into this. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I act like these deer are going to shoot back at me. So yeah. what do I do? I'm going to get where they don't see me. I'm going to get where they don't hear me. I'm going to pop up on my glassing point number two, and they're never going to know I'm there. I, I kind of think like, like if I were a sniper and I didn't want to get shot at, how would I do this? Yeah. Well, that's a heck of a way to look at it for sure. 
Um, yep. So I that is fantastic, and I wanted to bring out or bring to people's attention that you're doing this. I don't. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this show have already seen it, but if they haven't, then it's out there. Um, so you're building those graphics and you're putting them out. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you was about mountain thermals and how much effect do they have in, in that Southern Arizona? Well, I, th- I think the thermals are huge. Um, you know, obviously the wind is huge, especially when you're bow hunting, especially when you're trying to get close to those animals. Um, but the, the thermals more than anything, you're looking for the predominant wind direction. Okay. And yes, the thermals do play and yes, it does get cold and it gets warm. So you have a huge fluctuation in, um, temperature. Okay. And so, yes, it, it is going to create thermals, but I think most importantly, you want, we usually have pretty steady winds. So you want to use, you know, like the Onyx map, it now has a wind um, meter and you can check, uh, you can go on, you know, weather.com, whatever app you use and just know that, Hey, the wind's blowing out of the Southwest predominantly at, you know, eight miles an hour, use that to your advantage. As far as glassing country and finding country, I don't worry about the wind as much until I find an animal that I want to try and kill uh, or go get a better look at. And then I go, okay, what's the wind doing? Most of my glassing, so this is kind of a side note, but from a rifle hunting perspective, I always say I never want to get three inside of 300 yards of a deer that I want to kill. Well, that's kind of hard if you're a bow hunter because, you know, you got to be 40, 50 yards yeah. or, or closer. Um, but my mentality is I want to stay away from any deer that I'm hunting, whether it's a bow or a rifle until it's time. I don't want those deer to ever know that I'm in the country. I want to be able to position myself like a sniper up on position, looking for my target without the target knowing that I'm there. Then once I go, okay, that's a buck. Normally, guys just take off after a buck. I need to look for, you know, two or three days and try and figure out, okay, he always goes by the point of that ridge or he always goes by that big mesquite tree or they always go by those big group of ironwoods. I'm more of a guy that likes to take a super tactical approach of I'm willing to sit here for a day or two and pattern this buck and figure out the most efficient way, the most effective way to kill this deer. Um, and I think if people would be a little more patient and observe more and just chase after them less, their, their chance of, you know, the shot opportunity is going to go way up. Okay. That's excellent. Um, so I was going to actually ask for parting thoughts, but I think that's probably a good spot to, unless you have something additional, but I, I mean, that's a pretty good piece of well, the there. only other thing I would add is, is, you know, Arizona is an unbelievable state as far as hunting opportunities and the ability to come out and hunt OTC deer, um, which a lot of guys can also get a corresponding javelina tag, uh, not over the counter, so to speak, but there is a pretty liberal draw where you can actually put in for javelina tags. So in the month of January, you can be hunting deer, both coos and mule deer and hunting javelina at the same time. And, and quite honestly, you could be hunting quail, so bring your shotgun. Uh, so it, it's, it, it's, it's an unbelievable time, especially when people are in the Midwest and, you know, back east and some of the, you know, northern rocky states and stuff where it's really, really cold. Our weather is great. 
Um, it's, you know, cool in the morning and warm during the day. It's a phenomenal time to be out in the desert. So, you know, highly recommend anyone coming out, come hunt them during the peak of the rut. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you don't end up getting one or getting some shots, you'll definitely see deer and definitely kind of be in the game and, you know, figure it out for sure. Yeah. Do you, so the, I thought I read the other day on the Arizona parks and wildlife page, is there leftover javelina tags or do you know, are they gone? There is, there is. Um, I don't know what units, but every year there's units that go under, um, prescribed or subscribed, I guess would be the word. Um, and, and there's always some leftover javelina tags. I think you can go on the Arizona game and fish website and find out what those are, um, and pick up a javelina tag. And I want to say there might be a couple of OTC units, but don't quote me on that. Uh, but you know, definitely, uh, look at, you know, planning out and, and come year after year, it's a deal where you could have a pig tag uh, a deer tag and, and, you know, go shoot some quail all, all in the same month. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is super awesome. Um, okay. Well, I think we'll, well, I was going to wrap it up, but I want to add in a note here. So we get a lot of questions on the backcountry rookies about optics and we don't, we use good optics, but we don't use the best optics. You know, we use what we can afford and, and we've, that's what we use. But I want to direct people, if you're asking about optics, Jay and Cody Nielsen from Go Hunt have a series or multiple. I don't know if they're all in a series or not, but you guys have multiple shows, podcasts that are all about optics. And I just want to point that out because they're really, really good and they're full of information. So Yeah, you know, something to add to that, uh, Chad, Cody is an, uh, is amazing uh, just, just incredible source of knowledge of when it comes to optics and he's a phenomenal glasser. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that we try and, you know, answer as many glassing questions as we can. We try and answer, you know, down to the nitty gritty of, of basic optics questions and, you know, differentiating between different spotting scopes and rifle scopes and binoculars and tripods and all of that from a techie standpoint. Uh, and, and, you know, from a practical standpoint, too, of using a lot of that gear and what works best for us and, you know, things that we've heard. And um, so, yeah, I appreciate you covering that. We typically do one or two a month of, you know, answering guys uh, Q&As on optics. And uh, so Cody at, at Go Hunt uh, just does a phenomenal job with that for sure. Yeah, he's good. And that's everything. Tripods. It's related to everything optics. So uh check that out go through i think i i googled it the other day or i've searched it and i think i just searched j scott optics and it popped up with a whole series of them so if you're interested in optics that's a really good resource and with that jay what's your well i already said it but i'll let you say it what's your instagram and how do people get in touch with you if they want to ask questions for sure it's so at j scott outdoors on instagram you can send me a direct message i appreciate any questions, I try and answer all the questions uh, myself, obviously, and, and right away. Um, and for, for whatever reason, if I don't get back to you on a question, it's only because I'm out scouting and, and putting in the hours, really pounding the hills. Uh, but I try and, you know, spend a couple hours every evening responding and answering emails and questions. Uh, you can, uh, yeah at j scott outdoors is probably the best way and i uh, just appreciate you having me on the podcast and appreciate the shout outs for my podcast that you gave and 
Um, you know, it's, it's something that I really enjoy helping others. The, the biggest uh, compliment for me is when I get a photo and someone says they learned something and it helped them uh, have a better hunt. That's, uh, that's what I do this for. And um, just uh, really enjoy uh, talking, hunting and fishing. And, and uh, it's, it's just an amazing opportunity for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for what you do. Definitely. I know I've gained a lot of information just from, from your show. So um i I think we'll wrap it up there thanks jay i appreciate it all right buddy thanks for having me on god bless okay all right you too